December 8th, I indicated that I hope to get 100 million shots in people's arms in my first 100 days. We met that goal last week by day 58, 42 days ahead of schedule. Now today I'm setting a second goal, and that is we will, by my 100th day in office, have administered 200 million shots in people's arms. Those who are coming across the border who are unaccompanied children were moving rapidly to try to put in place what was dismantled, as I said. For example, of all the children who are coming across the border, over 70% are either 16 or 17 years old. We're not talking about people ripping babies from mother's arms or little three-year-olds standing on the border. Less than, I think it's one and a half percent fall in the category of the very young. The idea that I'm gonna say, which I would never do, that if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border, we're just gonna let them starve to death and stay on the other side. No previous administration did that either, except Trump. I'm not gonna do it. I'm not going to do it. Deciding that you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off work. Deciding that there will be no absentee ballots under the most rigid circumstances. It's all designed, and I'm going to spend my time doing three things. One, trying to figure out how to pass the legislation passed by the House, number one. Number two, educating the American public the Republican voters I know find this despicable. Republican voters, the folks out in the, outside this White House. I'm not talking about the, the elected officials. I'm talking about voters, voters. Have you decided whether you are going to run for re-election in 2024? You haven't set up a re-election campaign yet, as your predecessor had by this time. <laughs> My predecessor need to, needed to. <laughs> My predecessor. Oh, God, I miss him. Um, no, the answer is yes. My plan is to run for re-election. That's my expectation. No American president ever backed down from speaking out of what's happening in the Uyghurs, what's happening in Hong Kong, what's happening in-country. In, in, in that's who we are. The moment a president walks away from that, as the last one did, is the moment we begin to lose our legitimacy around the world. It's who we are. So I see stiff competition with China. China has an overall goal, and I don't criticize them for the goal, but they have an overall goal to become the leading country in the world the wealthiest country in the world and the most powerful country in the world. That's not going to happen on my watch. As you observed, I'm a fairly practical guy. I want to get things done. I want to get them done consistent with what we promised the American people. And in order to do that, in a 50-50 Senate, we've got to get to the place where I get 50 votes so that the Vice President of the United States can break the tie, or I get 51 votes without her. And so I'm going to say something outrageous. I have never been particularly poor at calculating how to get things done in the United States Senate. So the best way to get something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, I, we're going to get a lot done. And if we have to, if there's complete 
lockdown and chaos is a consequence of the filibuster, then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking about. Okay, um, hang on. Uh, sorry. Oh, sing me, Miss Kim. Thank you, Mr. President. Um, to follow up on the filibuster, so do you believe it should take 60 votes to end a filibuster on legislation or 51? <laughs> if we could end it with 51, we would have no problem. You're going to have to, the existing rule, uh, it's going to be hard to get a parliamentary ruling that allows 50 votes to end the filibuster. Welcome, welcome. Uh, yeah, I heard that there was a lot of a lot of hot air coming out of D.C. last night. I didn't know what type of hot air. Uh, in, in case you couldn't tell, today is a super, super serious episode. Um, after that shit show of a press conference we saw last night, pardon my language. Um, before we get into, just for a warning, today's episode is mostly going to be about uh, just reviewing President Biden's first uh, press conference, press briefing, briefing, um, and then we'll see what else we have time to get to. So it's going to be mostly that, and I will attempt to hold my fart jokes. No promises, though. Before we do that, though, I want to talk to you about Black Rifle Coffee, something I haven't told you before. I've told you all the usuals, fresh, most American, supporting law enforcement veterans, first responders, all that good stuff. Subscription service. What they also have, and I, I always mention ground whole bean coffee, which is beautiful. It's great. But what they also have are your K-Cups. And very, very well priced. I think uh, last time I bought K-Cups, which is admittedly it's been a while because I prefer to go whole bean and grind it myself. But if you're the type that you just you want some just good coffee and you just want to get it, be able to get it on the go, uh, K-Cups are definitely for you. They are... Top of the line, very very fresh. They hold their freshness for a long time, just like your your typical high high quality K cup. Uh, still very very fresh flavor. Priced extremely competitively. I think last I saw it was like a little bit cheaper uh, as far as per K cup than like Costco brand uh, Kirkland. So and it's going to be a much better cup of coffee. So if you've been holding out because you aren't the type to, to buy ground or whole bean coffee, you'd rather just do the Keurig, which a lot of people are now nowadays are doing. And, and my wife and I actually used to have a Keurig. Well, my wife had a Keurig, which I married into. And then I kind of quickly made the decision that I'm uh, not about that life anymore. <laughs> no, we, we kind of both made that decision because it was big and bulky and we were living in a shoebox at the time. But uh, anyways, try out the K-Cups. They're delicious, very well priced, and of course, you still get all your subscription options, and uh, yeah, no discount code yet. Maybe it's because I suck at doing the Black Rifle Coffee promo. <laughs> I don't know. I'll get better, though. Uh, other than that, check out Cross and Musket Apparel at Cross and Musket on Instagram. Check out our t-shirts. At checkout, use promo code INSTA for 20% off. With that, let's recap what the hell happened last night. But real quick, let me get some coffee. Damn it, that's good.
Um, I am exhausted. I was I stayed up way too freaking late um, taking notes for this podcast, mainly for this section for the Biden press conference section, because I wanted to make sure you know I I one heard it all and saw it all, and I wasn't just going off of whatever clips somebody else pieced together for me. So have that in mind. But then second of all, I couldn't get more than 10 minutes and then something would distract me. Either the cats are trying to kill each other or there's dinner or there's whatever. Um, taking a shower with my lady. That was a good time. Uh, <laughs> no, ser- seriously, I will say this um, on the subject of showering with my woman. Um, it's probably some of the most intimate time we have together. Literally just standing there in the shower talking about our day or whatever it is. And, and I try to make it known to her that, you know, I really appreciate it. I enjoy it because it's some of the, some of the only time we get to really just talk, even in a tiny ass little apartment, we still find a way to be separate from each other. Whether it's, even if we're both reading, you know, I'm reading out in the patio cause I like being outside and she likes to read inside cause it's cold outside, uh, during the evening. Sometimes we're on the shady side, but, uh, anyways, so the shower is just one of those times where we get to just talk and we're kind of forced to uh, to be around each other and look at each other and and that helps just intimate conversation you know so it's great I love it um, and then also you know uh, boobs so so let's get into the Biden thing um, well let me play for you but what I said yesterday my hope for the press conference uh, would be last night. Jen Psaki said Tuesday, quote, that Mr. Biden is thinking about what he wants to say, what he wants to convey, where he can provide updates, and looking forward to the opportunity to engage with a free press. Uh, I hope he is prepared. I hope I hope the press is prepared to be tough on him. Uh, I think he does need to be smacked around a little bit, uh, obviously, figuratively speaking. I think that he needs to be held to task. The good things he's done, the bad things, however you feel about it. I think we need to hear it from him. We've heard plenty from everybody except for him. And what we have heard and seen from him has been a little bit concerning. So it would be nice to see him come out and be strong on what his plans are. Uh, and it would, be, it would be nice for him to take plenty of questions from the press. Of course, plenty of softballs are going to come his way. I hope he asks... Uh, oh, crap. What's his name? I'm sorry. I always forget his name, and it's super memorable. Uh, but Fox News correspondent, who's always there, asking the tough questions. And I hope that he fields all of them. Uh, so, with, with, with that in mind, um, that's not really what we got. We Well, first of all, just the most blatant um, issue that I had with, with this speech or press conference kind of one of the same with Biden there's really is no unscripted moment in his life anymore but uh Peter Ducey 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 is the one is the Fox News correspondent whose name I can never remember and when I can remember I can't pronounce much like much of what I say but uh I split my notes into what is this three or four sections immigration huge topic hashtag unfit hashtag no unity foreign policy and then a little bit on gun control so we got a lot to cover if i start talking too fast we'll listen faster uh so 
let's start with immigration. Biden brought up the the issue, talking about this surge on the border as if it wasn't a surge. He had to come out quickly and say that no, this is what happens every year. He he's saying you know what was the, the quote or the the phrasing that he used was the the press report the. I need more coffee. I'm about to get really freaking frustrated with myself. Let's try that again. There was one of the reporters asked him about, I guess, the reasons why there there's this crisis on the border. And she's basically saying, well, it's because you're such a great guy. You're so, so nice and caring and compassionate, whatever, that these people are coming expecting him to do the humane, compassionate thing, which is, of course, to let them stay. And then he said, well... This is something that happens every year. We're coming out of the cold months. It's before the super hot months. And so this is the time to make the trek across the desert. And he tried to say that the the surges that happen the same time every year are obviously not because Trump was such a nice guy. And so while he'd love to claim that nice niceness is the reason, it, that's not it. He's saying this happens every year couple issues with that. Um, I immediately, I, I had to go and look how many people migrate to America every year. Biden says this happens every single year. From what I've read, I saw, you know, government statistics. I saw news statistics. Everything I read pointed to the same thing, that immigration, especially illegal immigration, has been on a steady decline since about when Obama took office. Irony, I know. But yes, it is a very, it's been a pretty consistent decline. But will that continue with Biden? Or is there going to be an uptick in the number of undocumented immigrants? Well, we're already seeing that, yes, this happens every year. But the sheer volume, the sheer number of people not only coming to the border, making it across the border, and now being put in hotels, now being put into the Dallas, uh, some kind of a conference center now where they're housing these immigrants, um, they've reinstituted catch, catch and release, got rid of the stay in Mexico order, which if you don't know, damn it, this is going to be a long ass episode, guys. Um, yes, it makes more, it makes sense that more would migrate during the warmer months, of course. What's undeniable, though, is that there are more this year than in previous years, or else there wouldn't be this overpopulation in all of these facilities. Is that because of Biden, COVID, increased corruption, poverty in South American countries run by these communist dictators and drug cartels? All of the above? I would say probably all of the above. I would say probably predominantly COVID is probably to blame. But they weren't wearing t-shirts decrying some dictator or begging for COVID vaccines, begging for this uh, AstraZeneca. They were here because of Biden. They had Biden t-shirts on, many then. Had they voted, they would have voted for the Biden-Harris ticket because that would be one step closer to them making it across that river and staying. That's just self-preservation right there. That's not politics. They're not voting for, or they wouldn't have voted for Biden because he's a great guy. So one uh, defense that Biden brought up is that the reason they have overpopulation in these facilities is because many of the facilities were dismantled by the former administration. Duh. 
when the, your when your goal, your stated goal for the world to hear is we want less immigrants coming to our border. We'd rather them go through formal processes instead of just showing up, right? But now, if you're told the worst you'll endure at the border is a hot and a cot and then a court hearing, that might result in you staying anyways due to COVID and compassion. Hello. Of course you're going to risk the long walk across the border. Of course you would. Biden's rolling out the welcome mat for them. And this is not about whether or not we have compassion for these people. It's about the humane way to deal with it. And if you are saying the best way for you to become an American citizen is for you to make this dangerous trip across borders. I mean, let's say best case scenario are coming from Mexico. All right, you still have to go across the desert. But many of these people are coming from South America and Central America. So they're going through multiple borders. They're dealing with drug cartels. Bottom line is we do not need to be the ones sending these kids home. The problem should be taken care of. The, the only people we should be, be sending back to their country of origin are Mexicans. Anybody who made it through Mexico and through other countries to get here, we need to be sending these people back to those countries. That's what the whole stay in Mexico, the wait in Mexico order was. That was a landmark deal between the Trump administration and Mexican government saying you can't just be letting these people, because there is no incentive now for Mexico to, to control their southern border. Nobody's trying to get to Mexico. If they're coming to the Mexican border, it's because they're trying to pass through to get to the U.S. border. So Mexico's saying, fine, just keep going. Let America deal with it. And that's the problem. And those countries that we do send the people back to, they can treat the other countries who allow them to pass through the same way. But the bottom line is that we cannot be footing the bill 100% for their lack of controlling their own borders. I understand this humanitarian effort to cater to every single person in the world, but that is not humanitarian, I'm sorry. Until there's a worldwide humanitarian movement to improve border security, well, I mean, what the hell am I saying? We're talking about the worldwide belief system of no borders. All one big happy family, Jews and terrorists, Christians and dictators. Another point I took away on immigration is an ABC reporter, thank God for ABC reporting um, on that one immigrant saying that he's here because of Biden. I think that is eye-opening for a lot of people. But an ABC reporter stood up and, and asked um, about an immigrant boy who came because of Biden. And Biden's response was first to laugh. And then he ultimately got down to the point where we're not going to send these kids back. Only Trump sends kids back to starve. That Biden won't do that. And you know, there's this, there's this almost like a, I would say a disconnect if I didn't believe that he was doing it intentionally, but it, it's this idea that it's either we allow immigrant children to starve to death or we take them in. Those are the two options. We've talked about choice structure on this podcast before. When you're given two choices to pick from and neither one is optimal, then you've got to be kind of suspect of the person presenting those options to you. If it's two extremes, then I'm sorry, that is coming from a person who only sees things in extremes. 
the middle, the, the balance in the middle somewhere. That's what we're aiming for. So how do you achieve less reason to have to ship people back and or keep them? Well, how about we discourage them from coming to the border in the first place? That is the humanitarian, that is the human rights, that is the civil way to handle this. I don't think that's a very difficult concept. But everybody gets gets stuck on the ripping kids away from, from their mother's arms. And that's all they see. And that, that's, not, that's not the case all the time. In some circumstances, maybe. But in many cases, these children are being sent here by themselves or in groups of children. No parents, like they said, with a phone number on them. And they're supposed to call that person to try to link them up. That person may be in the United States. That person may still be in Mexico or in another country. But either way, the danger is the children being sent here. So how do we deal with that? We don't deal with it by building facilities to house them and educate them. In many, many cases, some of the classroom pictures I'm seeing, the desks, the, 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 the lighting, everything looks brand new. That's better than some of our kids have in our public school systems. It's infuriating. So immigration, if I had to give them a score of 1 to 10 on immigration, I would call it maybe a 2 or 3, mainly because I wouldn't give him a 0, just because I think he was able to perpetuate some of the, the, the misinformation and some of the lies that come out of the Democrat Party about immigration, especially the lies about Donald Trump saying that he's just okay with letting children starve. I'm sorry, what are you trying to say about half of the country that voted for him? That we just want children to starve? Please. Like, it is so disingenuous. It is so insulting. And it's, it's flat out deceptive. I think people should see it for what it is. Moving on. Hashtag unfit. I wonder what this is about. Watching the video from the, from the get-go, from the very beginning, there's this glassy, not-quite-there look out of Joe Biden's eyes. Watching him speak, listening to his words and how they're coming out, the confidence or lack of confidence behind those words as he's saying them, I see a president unsure of what he is supposed to say. And that is a stark contrast to the previous president, who said whatever the hell he wanted to say. Sometimes I, I would have rather, most actually much of the time, I'd rather him just keep his big mouth shut. But you never had to guess what Donald Trump thought. You never had to guess what position Donald Trump had, an, had on an issue. You never had to guess what he actually meant. Because guess what? He never looked down at his notes. If he was giving a formal speech, he was reading the teleprompter, and he deviated from the teleprompter all the time, much to his detriment. But you never had to guess. And with Joe Biden, if you watch it, I mean, really watch the, the, the full video. I'm going to have that linked in the show notes. I beg of you to watch the full video because there were two clips in the very beginning of the episode, of this episode. The first one was an ABC clip of the, the highlights, things you shouldn't have missed. And they cut the audio everywhere where he's doing his, his, his searching. He's looking at the ceiling. He's looking at, it, at his notes. What the hell am I supposed to say right now? Who, the, who am I? They cut all that out. The second audio clip, you may not have noticed the division, but listen to it again. Um, 
had him searching for words, had him fumbling through his notes, had him literally mid-sentence switching between rehearsed line one and rehearsed line two, and just not knowing what the hell is going on. It's terrifying. He had to mention, I thought this was hilarious, he had to mention that he had a phone call in an hour. He mentioned it twice back to back as if we didn't hear him the first time. I mean, is that not just a typical cop-out? He hasn't had the balls to get in front of the press one time yet in 65 days. And then when he finally does, just so y'all know, I got a phone call in an hour that I'm going to have to jet over to. I used to do that all the time. In fact, sometimes I still do. I got to walk my dog every four hours or else he'll piss all over the couch. So sorry, can't stay long. Except if he used the dog excuse, we would all know he's lying because ain't nobody letting that guy walk his dog again after he got pulled to the ground. Plus, you know, stairs. He said that we will call the Uyghur situation to the attention of the world. Uyghur situation we've talked about, but briefly that is Chinese are rounding up Uyghurs, which is a an ethnic group in China, uh, I believe on the Turkish side. And they're rounding them up. They're a Muslim and they are putting them into re-education camps. They're not even hiding that part. But what they are hiding is the torture and the claims of rape and the claims of, I mean, torture that are coming out of there. It's disgusting. Um, so he says he'll continue to bring that to the attention of the world. He says that the prior administration walked away from holding China accountable. Are you kidding me? Which party was begging Trump, almost warning him against imposing tariffs on China? Which president backed out of the Paris Agreement because China wasn't holding up their end of the bargain? Why are we going to pay into this program that the worst offender of carbon pollution is not even being held accountable to? He says he doesn't want to hold it against them that they want to dominate the world. Economically, socially, everything. Militarily. Uh, you know who does hold it against them? I do. Because if you really felt China was committing human rights abuses as he claims that he will continue to call out to the world, I think calling out, calling them out to the world is a little bit um, void of meaning. Impose the tariffs. Build up a more robust manufacturing sector in America as Donald Trump was trying to do. Donald Trump isn't the end-all be-all. He wasn't perfect. But what he did on the economy was amazing. And Joe Biden kicked that sandcastle over pretty quick as soon as he got into office. More hashtag unfit. He announced that he is going to be reading from cards. I thought that was funny. He was standing there. Oh, I've got some cards I'm going to read to you from. As if he's in a nursing home announcing to his grandkids that he just got one of those neat iPods. And then he pulls out one of those CD players that's also like a, an MP3 compatible CD player. With FM tuner, of course. He just looked frail and old and not entirely there. He dropped the line, it's not my expertise in how the parliamentary works. Literally right after he says that he's no stranger to how to get things done in the Senate. So which is it? Everybody's calling him out on his cheat sheets. Uh, for which reporters to call him. He had certain names or pictures circled with numbers next to them. Mini blank. 
And of course, as we mentioned, Peter Ducey from Fox News was not called on. What a stark difference between Trump and Biden again. And I would say the same thing if the roles were reversed. On to hashtag no unity. Peter Ducey of Fox News not called on. How can that be? There is a single media outlet out there that is still mainstream news that Republicans can look to as somewhat of a redeeming quality to the mainstream news media in general. And then to invite him and then not ask him a question while he allowed all these other reporters to ask multiple questions, nothing to Fox News. And then the real big one was that the only time that COVID was brought up was when he said that that's why he's not, he hasn't done anything on immigration, climate change, or election reform yet. Because he's been focusing so much on the number one issue, which is COVID. Yet there wasn't a single COVID question after that. Am I getting that right? Of course I am. I watched it. He basically announced that he's going to end the the filibuster, which if you're not sure exactly what the filibuster is, the filibuster is where in the Senate to pass a bill, you've got to get 60 votes, which right now with a 50-50 split, that means they've got to get 10 Republican votes. Now, of course, that means that they're not going to get that those 10 votes, so they're not going to be able to pass those bills. So they want to use something called reconciliation, which they used once already, which I believe was used for the COVID bill, the $1.9 trillion relief bill. And it's essentially, it, it's, a, it's a, a loop around. It's a very, I didn't read into the procedural technicalities of it, but what I've read is it's an extremely difficult process to get to, and they can only use it a couple of times in the first half of a term, and they've already used it once. And so what he said was, this quote, we'll have to go beyond, end quote, trying to achieve 60 votes. What does that mean? Well, if you end the filibuster, now all you need is a, is a majority period which Kamala Harris is the tiebreaker, gives them that majority. And then they get to ram through anything and everything that they want to ram through. So read up a little bit more on reconciliation. I need to read up on that uh, as a loophole around uh, the filibuster. It's something they could potentially use to get around the filibuster rule, but they may not want to use it for their last time this quickly. I don't know. Um, another big one that they won't let the press into these border facilities. And when, when asked when Biden basically says, yes, of course you'll be allowed once our plan is underway. And then when she was, she asked again, I think for two, three or four times, when will that be? He finally just said, I don't know. And then stared at her with this blank stare as if daring her to ask him again. He smirks anytime a reporter asks more than one question. Now, I wish the reporters had not asked as many questions because then maybe, just maybe, he would have gotten to Fox News. But, excuse me, who who does he think he is? Just, I mean, you know, answer the question or complain that the press is unfair. Do whatever it is you need to do. Donald Trump was never shy about calling the press unfair and saying, what a stupid question. Have the balls and say something. But don't stand there and smirk as if saying, how dare you ask me that question. Because they're asking it because their readers and their listeners and their watchers want to know, right? So he's basically smirking at the American people for wanting to know what the hell are you going to do.
something that was very troubling to me was he says that he's working on what Republican voters want, not what elected officials want. So once again, who do you think you are? They got into political office the same way he did, many of them on the same ballot. We voted them in because they are our voice. We put them there. Is there anything more terrifying than a president going against the voice of the people, just assuming he has the majority of voters by default? To the extent of the executive branch's power, yes, he has the Republican vote, or at least enough of it to have won the office of president. But to use that as justification to circumvent Congress, that's not how it works, buddy. Sorry to burst your bubble, but no, that's not how it works. Obama was guilty of it. Biden's guilty of it. Trump was probably pretty guilty of it, too. we got to get away from these strong men. He said the filibuster rule is a relic of Jim Crow. And then when he was asked if he should abolish it now, he went on a long string, never answered the question, but ended up at, he does. He says he's, he has no idea if there will even be a Republican Party in 2024. Wow. Uh, he had a sudden burst of anger to say that the middle class built America and that the unions built them. I haven't seen anybody talking about this. The, the unions built Americans? I'm sure only the ones that donated millions of dollars to Democrat candidates. What about the police unions, Joe? Didn't see a whole lot of them going in favor of Joe. Hashtag defund. Okay, a couple points on foreign policy. Uh, He would not commit to a May 2nd uh, departure from Afghanistan. I think we've got, I think it was like less than 2,000 troops still there. Trump had a plan to get everybody out, pulled out out of Afghanistan. Some of them will stay behind in Europe. Others will come home. Biden would not commit to that. Uh, when asked about China and our relationship of talking about tariffs or banning imports from forced labor. He basically said that's a legitimate question, but that it's not the whole story because he knows President Xi Jinping. He says we'll have competition, not confrontation. But it needs to be fair and according to international laws. We will deal with China effectively by investing in American science and workers, presumably for China to steal, because that's essentially what they're doing. They are the ones pouring money into tech startups. And then they get a little piece of any of the technology that comes out of that. I I know a Donald Trump would have been much stronger on China. But that's just not how Joe rolls, I guess. Talking about gun control, um, they asked about manufacturer liability bill or an ex- or executive action. So manufacturer liability, of course, is the person who created the gun liable for the gun's use. Obviously, is the person who created a Chevy Tahoe that plows into another car because of a drunk driver. Is Chevy now liable because of that? No, of course not. But these are guns we're talking about. He basically said in reference to uh, a manufacturer liability bill or some kind of executive action from him 
for gun restrictions. He basically said all of the above, and he says it's all about timing. He says past presidents were successful because of their timing. I, I don't even understand that. Because to me, what it sounds like is that maybe now is the right time finally because we had a shooting. We've had two shootings. Mass shootings. So now is the right time to talk about gun control because never let a good crisis go to waste. But why not now? Why not a month ago? Why not in the past 40-something years he's been in office? And then he very quickly pivoted back to infrastructure. So that was my takeaway. I thought... I really looked for times where he seemed strong or he seemed certain or confident in anything he was saying. Didn't see much of that. What I did see was him snubbing his nose at the conservative American, snubbing his nose at the people that he is claiming to want to unite with, and not a single olive branch extended. In fact, almost declaring war by saying, one, there won't be, there may not be a Republican Party left, and then number two, saying that he's appealing to the Republican voter who put him in office, not to Congress who the Republican voter put into Congress. Completely backwards, completely leaning on his own power as the executive branch and not giving a crap about the constitutionality of how bills need to be put into into law. So moving on from that, there are obviously much more important things than Joe Biden being Joe Biden. Uh, We've seen more what I would call, what many would call racism from corporate America. There's a story from the Washington Examiner about Cigna, which is one of the largest corporations in America, period, um, very large insurance company, putting out more of this woke, um, anti-white, anti, obviously they call it anti-racism, but it, it is racist itself. And so instead of me just trying to make sense of all this. There's a great video. This is coming out of Florida. This is uh, Governor Ron DeSantis talking about critical race theory and then the Washington Examiner kind of giving a, a rundown of what critical race theory even is. So take a listen to this. I think they explain it better than uh, I could. This week, Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis took the extraordinary step of preemptively banning the implementation of a radical new school curricula called critical race theory. Let me be clear. There's no room uh, in our classrooms for things like critical race theory. Teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other is not worth one red cent of taxpayer money. Critical race theory is a concept incubated in universities, implemented in some of corporate America, and it's now trickling down to K-12 schools. It holds that unconscious bias, racism, and oppression are implicit in white Americans and must be remedied through equity and equality programs. Cornell University law professor William Jacobson has documented critical race theory's ubiquitous spread. So that is a very brief... um maybe even oversimplified explanation of what critical race theory is. But critical race theory uh, is rooted in the 1619 Project, which has come out of the New York Times, which is essentially saying that the United States didn't start in 1776. It started in 1619 with the first slave brought over from Africa, Um, which if you actually know your slavery history, the first slave owner in the United States, you guessed it, African-American. But anyways... Critical race theory, to me, is terrifying. This is outside influence in our core institutions. 
It was already tried in government institutions as critical race theory training, um, explaining to white people implicit racism, systemic racism that they cannot control, they are helpless to solve, and that they were ultimately responsible for. Donald Trump put an end to it very quickly, and Joe Biden is bringing it back, and everybody else is now feeling extremely confident in using it to, to, to virtue signal just how diverse and inclusive they are and, and devoted to equity. And if you remember any of our uh, Great Reset discussions, equity is just one of those terms. To, to say that you know we don't want equality anymore. We don't e- want equality of opportunity. We want equality of result. And the only way to have equality and result is to fix the game. You know, we, we can we can make sure that every team in the NBA has the same number of wins throughout the entire year as long as we have the referees doing their jobs of making sure that the calls go a certain way. You don't count other calls to make sure the store the score stays even and, and everybody gets a fair shot at a championship trophy. That's that's not how it works, I'm sorry. A company that is now under fire because of this is Coinbase, which if you don't know Coinbase, I use them. Um, they're one of the best applications out there for investing in Bitcoin and other digital um, cryptocurrencies. And they basically said, if you don't like it here because we don't teach this crap, um, here's a pretty sweet severance package. There's the door. Goodbye. Which I think is an amazing response. You know, they talk about workplace culture. And that should be, you know, if you're, if you're job hunting, you, could, you should look not just at pay, but what's the culture like there? If you think that your employer is engaging and contributing to systemic racism, why the fuck are you working there? Why have you not left? I just, I don't understand this. What this boils down to is critical race theory is a litmus test for how we should think. They're teaching us not how to think, they're teaching us what to think. And critical race theory is the filter in which of how we think about what they tell us to think about. There is no freedom of thought under critical race theory. It will tell you exactly how we should treat each other, how we should gauge the righteousness of others. Racist or anti-racist all based on the definitions that we are given. Not definitions that we are used to or definitions that have naturally come about through just social progress. No. They want to gauge your righteousness on the definitions that they are injecting forcibly into our institutions at this moment. You have zero say in which category you belong to. They could just flat out ask people, hey, are you a racist? Yes or no? Yes, over there? No, over there. Cool. No, what they're doing is they're saying, are you racist? No. Oh, that's just evidence that you're a racist. Step into my office. At this point, all you can do is smear the blood on your doorpost and hope that this angel of cancellation passes over you. That's exactly what all these these companies are doing and institutions. Cancel culture is ruling the day. How's that for a Passover reference on Good Friday? What this does is it doesn't just tell us what to think or how to think. It doesn't just tell us how to treat people. 
it installs in our systems. Talk about systemic. This creates a systemic way. This creates millions of systemic ways for us to incriminate each other, for us to stay divided, for us to look at somebody and say, you're one of them. You don't think how I think. You don't feel how I feel or act how I act. Therefore, you are not an anti-racist. And if the only other option in this choice structure is racist, well, then you must be a racist. And not only that, they are furthering this language of talking about members of the right as being domestic terrorists. Why were we so happy that Antifa was finally labeled a domestic terrorist organization under the Trump administration? That's because much of the Patriot Act language that we use to go after actual terrorists, foreign terrorists, can then be used. The surveillance, the, the uh, his, historical fact-gathering on these people, monitoring them. Domestic terrorist is a very carefully applied term. It is not by chance that they are applying it to so many on the right simply because they did not vote for Joe Biden. We briefly covered some um, gun legislation talk earlier. Here is Ted Cruz. This is coming from uh, the Blaze TV. This is a a clip of Ted Cruz defending law-abiding citizens against these gun restrictions that the Democrats are slating. They are saying that they are going to be pushing for 100%. Coming days and weeks, the exact motivation of the murderers in Atlanta and Boulder, Colorado. We'll learn what happened there. But we already know this pattern is predictable over and over and over again. There are steps we can take to stop these crimes. And you know what the steps aren't? The steps aren't disarming law-abiding citizens. Every year, firearms are used in a defensive capacity to defend women, children, families, roughly a million times a year in the United States. And the Democrats who want to take away the guns from those potential victims would create more victims of crimes, not less. I agree it's a time for actions. And by the way, I don't apologize for thoughts or prayers. I will lift up in prayer people who are hurting. And I believe in the power of prayer. And the contempt of Democrats for prayers is an odd sociological thing. First, uh, I appreciate Ted Cruz saying that. Sometimes I'm a little more critical of Ted Cruz because I feel like he's becoming one of these politicians that's just peddling books and he's there for show. But when it comes to gun rights, I I consistently see him animated and passionate against restricting the rights of law-abiding gun owners. So I appreciate that. I've got some audio. This comes from The Hill. um, And this is some Biden audio talking about uh, he's urging Congress to pass an assault weapons ban, which it's weird. I thought we already had that, but I guess um, we need like 2.0. I don't know. Listen. The United States Senate, I hope some are listening, should immediately pass the two House pass bills that close loopholes in the background check system. These are bills that receive votes of both Republicans and Democrats in the House. This is not and should not be a partisan issue. This is an American issue. It will save lives, American lives. And we have to act. We have to act. That's the favorite line of dictators, really. Um, we have to do something, right? We hear that all of the freaking time. I want to I read more from the article about what he said past that. 
Um, he says, I don't need to wait an, another minute. Quoting President Biden, I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. Once again? I got that done when I was a senator. We should do it again. Here's what their gun legislation would do. These common sense steps are restrictions and regulations. Some might call them infringements on the Second Amendment. The White House press secretary has said, quote, we are considering a range of levers, including working through legislation, including executive actions to address, obviously, not just gun safety measures, but violence in communities. So that, that, so that has been under discussion and will continue to be under discussion. My beef with the gun restrictions. And I really feel like this is the number one and almost the only argument made. The only people who care about what laws or restrictions or common sense steps, whatever you want to call them, the only people who care about those are law-abiding gun owners. And those are the people you don't need to worry about unless you are worried about them. And I think that that is the larger issue. I don't think that these Democrats want anybody to own firearms, at least not on a massive scale. I think they would love to have a litmus test put in where they've got to gauge, you know, how sympathetic were you to Donald Trump? Do you believe that Donald Trump was responsible for January 6th? I mean, they're, they're basically pushing, pushing us in that direction because they are using terms like domestic terrorist. So now if I'm classified as a domestic terrorist because I think Donald Trump was right to be, to not be impeached because of January 6th, then what does that mean for me as far as my rights to defend myself and my family? We already saw that Hunter Biden, at least, takes his right to defend himself very seriously. And uh, they actually obtained his application to purchase a firearm and he lied about his past drug use on it. His wife actually threw his gun into a trash can, which was like a block away from a high school. And somebody ended up finding it, I think. Like, who are these people? Steven Crowder from uh, Louder with Crowder, which is hosted on the Blaze platform. And of course, he's all over YouTube and every, everywhere else. He's, he's huge. He's been on Joe Rogan. Steven Crowder is blowing up. Steven Crowder, I think, would be the number one late night talk show host if, if he gave a crap about that and decided to just play along to get along and not do some of the reporting that he's doing. As he said before, this is not his job. <laughs> it is not his job to be journalistic, uh, to be a journalist, an investigative journalist, and going out and finding these facts. His job is a commentator and to make fun of the news, but nobody else is doing it. So let's hear what he had to say about um, these new gun restrictions that they're talking about. Specifically, he's talking about uh, Stephen Colbert's uh, take on it. A new scientific climate study uh, is claiming that pollution is now causing men to have smaller penises. It's true. Really? I knew it. Just ask Gerald. Well, let's stop this then. <laughs> Speaking of small penises, Stephen Colbert doesn't understand gun laws oh. at all. Republicans on the Hill know the majority voters 
want some form of gun control. So they immediately tried to change the subject. What, what has happened? What in about the last one few of the many days? forms we have in the last ah, Stephen yeah. Colbert is, of course, tragic. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not trying to perfectly equate these two, but we have a lot of drunk drivers in America that kill a lot of people. We ought to we ought to try to combat that too. Okay, I'll take that deal. Let's regulate guns the way we regulate alcohol and cars. You got to be 21. You got to pass a test to get a license. You got to have registration and insurance for your gun. If you move to a new state, you got to do the whole damn thing over again, and you can't go out loaded. Well, it's interesting that you would take that deal, mm. Mr. Colbert, because uh, the deal already exists. Right oh, now, you do have to be yeah. 21 to purchase a handgun. Well, That's federal law. You have to be 18 in most states to purchase a long rifle. In some states, you have to be 21 for concealed carry. You do have to pass a test. You do need an ID for a background yeah, check. Yep. And uh, if you do change states, you usually have to update it. None of which, by the way, are required for voting. But the good news is that the squad wants to uh, change the voting age to 16. Oh, that's, that's great. Good. So I tell you what, I will take the deal that just the current laws in the books for guns, okay, apply to voting. How about that? How about that? You need an ID? You need a vote? Wait, right, vote. We just need an identification check. We need to make sure that you're not a convicted felon. That's right. And yet that is the exact opposite of what Democrats and the left are trying to do. They are trying to make it so simple to vote, so easy, and they're claiming that anybody who just wants you to show some form of identification when you go vote, that that is racist. These people think so little of minorities. I'm telling you, Democrats think that Black people, Hispanics, that you're just fucking dumb. That you are incapable of doing one of the most basic things that almost all Americans will do, which is obtain either a driver's license or a free state ID. Like, it, that, that's it. That's all we're asking. Can you prove to me that as a voter, as a responsible voter who understands the ramifications of what you're about to do, that you take it serious, seriously enough? To go to jump over this very, very, very low hurdle of just getting some form of identification so we know who you are. Now, you would say um, the, the argument to applying the same rules that they apply to obtaining a weapon, the, applying that to voting. Well, voting doesn't kill people. Oh, oh, oh but I beg to differ. We saw the, so many rivers of leftist tears because Donald Trump got elected. And Donald Trump is committing genocide on the border. AOC said there's literal concentration camps on the border. So, so what am I missing here? If by me voting Donald Trump into office, I literally contributed to thousands of people dying because of his in, uh, inability to solve the COVID crisis. That killed thousands of people in the country. They, they lay all of that at the feet of Donald Trump. Yet they don't want to make it tougher for people to vote. I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. They want to lower the voting age to 16. Are you responsible enough to select the, the leader of the free world at 16? You know what I gave a shit about at 16? Nothing. Girls. Nothing. I was worried about not forgetting to make my bed to avoid banishment to the 10th circle of hell at age 16. I wasn't worried about who was in presidential office. In fact, the more I pay attention to politics, the more I realize it's more of the same. 
This isn't anything new. I just wasn't paying attention back then. I didn't give a crap. Now, if I had voted, I would have simply voted for who my parents told me to vote for. And that's not the right way to do it. And now, isn't it, is it not ironic that at the same time they want to inject critical race theory in what amounts to essentially brainwashing our children and teaching them that they are part of a country that is, has committed genocide, that is racist, that is sexist, that is bigoted towards the LGBTQ, QIIAE plus whatever community? Is it, is it ironic, is it coincidence, or is it intentional that at the same time they want to be pumping that into our public school systems, that they also want to lower the voting age to 16? This is, this is not, not the road we need to be going down. In fact, you know what? If Joe Biden wanted unity at a time when we are so divided, if Donald Trump had wanted unity when we were so divided, if Barack Obama, if anybody wanted unity, they would stop making these sweeping federal declarations and start encouraging the states to do these things. I mean, theoretically, if all 50 states did exactly what Joe Biden wanted them to do, it would be an even more cemented in history um, solution versus just an executive order or abolishing the filibuster and ramming it through the Senate. That shows how much faith they have that the states actually want to do these things that Joe Biden wants to do. At least that's how I see it. I don't know. But now, moving on, uh, briefly, I want to talk about that uh, $3 trillion estimated spending bill, uh, infrastructure spending bill that they're saying is going to be used to combat climate change, to install universal pre-K, uh, of course, infrastructure, because our roads and bridges are crumbling, and where would we be without the government's $3 trillion to address roads and bridges? And drug pricing. So, uh, I brought up the term reconciliation earlier, and I forgot that I copied and pasted a definition for myself here. Um, this is coming from an article from Fox News talking about, uh, well, the, the, the article's title is Democrats Bypass Republicans' Trillion Dollar Infrastructure Bill. Um, so, the term reconciliation is described here as a complicated process that the Democrats use to pass the $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. It allows them to skip the 60-vote minimum to pass a bill in the Senate, instead requiring only a slight majority with Kamala being the tiebreaker in the Senate right now. There are limits on what legislation qualifies for reconciliation and how frequently the process can be used. I, I basically said that. Um, <laughs> continuing to quote, and critics have pointed out that Biden campaigned on uniting the country and end ending partisan bickering. Democrats can only use this mechanism called reconciliation one more time before the midterm elections in 2022. And what do you know? They're talking about using up both right in the first quarter of his first term. So, that being said, what is in the bill? And I'm sorry if you hear that annoying-ass dog. There's actually two of them, and this lady keeps them out in her patio, and anytime anybody gets within like four or five feet, they start barking like crazy. Oh, where's a can of antifreeze when you need one? I'm kidding. That's terrible, terrible thing to say. So what's in the bill? According to House Budget Chair John Yarmouth, uh, he told Fox News that it's going to be 
quoting, it's going to be a kitchen sink. Virtually everyone's going to want to get their priorities done through reconciliation. We'll see what we accommodate. The planned changes included in this bill include raising the corporate tax rate to 28% from 21%, raising the income tax rate on individuals earning more than $400,000, expanding the estate tax, creating a higher capital gains tax rate for individuals earning at least a million dollars annually, and pairing back tax preferences for so-called pass-through businesses. So it's a tax increase. It's a tax increase on pretty much everybody. And this is something, I brought this up on another episode about, oh, uh, what was it? I think a Business Insider or Forbes or something talking about how like one in eight Americans knows or is a millionaire. And the profile of those millionaires are not people who live extravagant lives. It's usually people with small businesses. It's probably a plumbing business or some kind of a mechanic business where they've got a fleet of vehicles. Even a small fleet of, you know, decently outfitted F-150s is going to run you probably 50 grand a piece. So it's pretty pretty quick to get to half a million just in your ability to conduct business, not even in revenue. And so when they continually talk about tax increases and they justify it, you know, only on the richest among us who aren't paying their fair share, I'm sorry, but the richest among us are the hardest workers, are the ones who are risking the most of their personal assets in order to not be an employee, but to be an employer to create opportunity. The best jobs out there are small businesses because there's flexibility. You know the owner of the company. He probably invites you over for dinner. You are in the middle of the business because it is such a small business. You wear different hats. You're a well-rounded employee. I learned all that by working for a small business. It was an e-commerce company. I had to learn everything about conducting business online, and it is benefiting me every single day to this day. My question when it comes to this infrastructure bill is why are we? why would we support cutting the Republican half of the country out so early. Can you really call 10 days of January plus all of February plus 25, 26 days now of March? Is that really giving unity a chance? There is one holdout on the Democrat side when it comes to using this reconciliation method to to get a bill passed in the Senate. And this is uh, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a Democrat from West Virginia. Quote, I'm not going to do it through reconciliation. He said during a recent interview with Axios, I am not going to get on a bill that cuts them out completely before we start. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. Uh, The article says Manchin, who has become one of the most powerful members of the 50-50 Senate, said he believed that it would be possible to get 10 Republicans to support an infrastructure bill and reach the 60-vote threshold needed to avoid a filibuster. And that's great. That's, I mean, if we're going to pass this infrastructure bill, this catch-all spending bill, I mean, we're going to spend money anyways, right? If we're going to do it, could we not just take some time to chill everybody out and say, what does everybody want? What is a deal breaker? All right, throw it out. Let the states handle it. What can we unite on? Throw it in. Let's do this. Like It is possible. All these things that Joe Biden is saying that he is, he is so... So wanting to do, to unite the country and be a president of red and blue. He's not acting like it. Man, we're over an hour already and I've got so much to talk about. 
So I will be recording an episode tomorrow. You'll get another bonus episode tomorrow because there's just so much here I got to talk about. Um, or Monday. We'll see. Tomorrow's my sleepy, sleepy day. <laughs> uh, this is an important one. Oakland to test out universal income. It's $500 per month direct payments to this this uh, group of people that they're using in this trial. This is a CBS News articles news article. And uh, well, here, here's a video of the governor or the mayor, I, I apologize, of Oakland, California, talking about what it is they want to do and, and why they're they're testing out this universal income. Mayor Schaff, your program is a little different from some of those others that you're referencing that are popping up around the country because it does focus on people of color. Give us some insight into your constituents and what their basic needs and requirements uh, for uh, eligibility are and how will this program ultimately support your community? Well, this is for families and we are focused on families of color, people of color, because there is such a racial wealth gap. In Oakland, uh, white incomes are three times that of the median black income. Nationally, the asset wealth gap is 10 times. So we want to close that racialized disparity in poverty. And honestly, every family should thrive. We saw from Stockton not only higher employment rates coming from guaranteed income, but also reduced anxiety, depression, and other impacts on wellness. Well, there you have it. Um, God, there, there's so much here, but I got to wrap this up. I get the sentiment behind universal income. I get it's lifting. I don't think it's lifting people out of poverty, but I get that $500 to somebody going through a time like that is a big deal. I get that. I've been there. But much like we would say about socialism, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Nobody sets out, almost nobody, to enslave a nation to the government's wishes. And I don't think that all of these people that are trying to go for universal income are trying to make slaves out of us. I don't, I don't believe that. But I believe there are those who are behind the mechanisms of power that are using these situations like COVID-19 to do things that only further their own political power and agenda. I don't think that's too much of a stretch for anybody to believe because we pretty much all already believe that, right? There are politicians out there that are in politics simply for the sake of power. And that's why I'm so troubled at seeing so many, particularly on, particularly on a global scale, referring to COVID-19 as an opportunity. You're hearing build back better over and over from President Joe Biden to people all over Europe to Trudeau in Canada. Build back better. Because of COVID-19, we have this opportunity to change the world for the better. I don't look at a virus that kills thousands of people as an opportunity. What I will say is that this study going on in Oakland is privately funded. There's theoretically no taxpayer money going to be used on this, so I respect that. And as I've said before, I won't deny that $500 a month will absolutely help people out, especially during this time. Nobody's refuting that. But is that really the criteria that we're going for? Should we really be setting the bar so low? Does this policy work? Well, did it make this person's life better? Well, yeah, probably because it's 500 bucks. Cool. Let's keep it around. Like, is that really what we're going for? This is essentially the step that we all feared of making welfare permanent. So now if you're white and poor, you're still privileged. 
my opinion, the best way to get people out of poverty is how about making life less expensive? I don't think it's it's by by chance or coincidence that these policies or these experiments are being conducted in the most expensive state in the union to live in, California. It's another another one of those classic cases I keep bringing up of government creating the problem through overregulation and higher taxes and taxes that aren't just on your income but taxes on oil, taxes on vehicles restricting the all their you know all the environmental protection the EPA stuff and regulations that makes vehicles so expensive and now they're solving it by artificially lowering lowering the cost of living without actually lowering the cost of living that's that's the catch and and that's not the only catch and now they're saying that this should be federal policy <laughs> good luck this cannot happen on a federal level. It cannot happen. Now, today y'all have been saved by the bell because I got to get y'all out of here. I've got to get out of here. Um, I know I covered a lot today and I, I'm, I'm sorry if I went too fast or if I glossed over things. All the articles that I'm talking about are in the show notes. That you can check them out yourself and let me know what you think. Um, I, I'm skipping over one that'll be up there. It's from the New Yorker talking about should gig work, which is like Lyft or Uber driving, uh, should or any really any uh, contract labor versus an employment labor should that be government run this article is arguing yes so I'm going to link to it up there but I'll either do an episode tomorrow or maybe a Monday weekend review and I'll bring I'll bring this ep- this uh, article into there a couple of things quickly before we head out of here um, if you ever feeling like maybe you're just not qualified in life or how do I phrase this that you are not where you need to be in life as far as intelligence goes. Sometimes I feel that way. I'm like, man, there's so many smart people out there and I'm just not one of them. (laughs) Um, But hop over to my Instagram page or the podcast Instagram page at point the underscore cast. This is a podcast. It's audio. You can pause it. Go ahead and pause it. Head over to our Instagram at point B underscore cast and look at our story. And then once you've done that, come back over and listen to me rip these people apart. Uh, anyways, there are some people who are basically suggesting there are companies that have made these, they are manufactured and they are for sale, essentially a condom for your nose. And of course, this is so that you can have access to your mouth for eating and drinking without fear of spreading COVID through the nose. So I guess the analyst in me, the, the, the side of me that says, por qué? Why? So do we need to start tracking how people are spreading the virus or contracting the virus by nose or by mouth? Can can you actually tell? I don't think so. But I'm serious because I'm I'm trying to see the what was the engineer thinking here? What 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 you know when people talk about creating a product and an invention, it's you're trying to solve a problem. Pretty sure the mouth is a bigger hole than the nose. That's, I mean, that's even if you take the full circumference of both nostrils. Some people have three nostrils, I've heard. The mouth is still bigger. And that's true for about every single human being on the planet. So why are we trying to be stupid? These people look like idiots. So if you ever feel like you're just subpar as far as intelligence goes, go watch this video. Save it. It'll make you feel better about, about your life in general, really. I already feel better just uh, talking about it. Um, I'll close with this. There's this idea that 
people, certain people in this country, whether it's because of economic status or skin color or where they live, that they are, they're almost accused. It's not, not that they're being labeled. It's they're accused as if they committed a crime as being privileged. There's so many people that want to act like any success of somebody other than, than themselves is an example of privilege. As if that person didn't have to sacrifice anything to achieve what it is that they've achieved. Whether it's work, you know, career, family, wealth, property, uh, influence, power. We're all guilty of it. So what have you achieved that you're proud of and don't want anybody else to act like you inherited it or something else resembling privilege? And think about those things when you're talking politics, you're talking anything. If you're debating with anybody about anything, think about how would I feel if these things that I see as positives in my life were being held against me for some reason? You know, it's just your white privilege speaking like, well, no, that's, that's me being a hard worker. That's me being committed to my job and loyal to this company. And so as I prepare to release you all back into the wild, um, I want to talk about unity because I heard so much about it last night at the Joe Biden's press conference. Unity is not one side compromising to get along with the other side. Unity, well, let's take it on a personal level. Unity is being able to laugh at Donald Trump when he says something stupid and call it out as you just said something stupid. Unity is if you're a Biden supporter, is being able to laugh at Joe Biden when he says or does something stupid, however rare or often that might happen. Right now, I think we should be looking for a candidate who isn't such presidential material that, that he's so high on himself or herself that they laugh with us. That when we say, that was really stupid, they can, they can chuckle along with me like, yeah, that was pretty stupid. You know who was great at that? George Bush, W. Bush. George W. was great at taking these um, flaming darts that the press loved to throw at him, making fun of his intelligence, how he was always searching for his next word, and making fun of, of his intelligence. He took it and he laughed with it. And I have, you know, who else was great at that? Was Reagan. And it's called humility, and we haven't seen that in a long time out of the executive branch. I had some more audio here um, of Donald Trump getting roasted on a, on a Comedy Central roast uh, special where they would roast these celebrities or whoever in, in an effort to raise money for some charity. They roasted Donald Trump back in like 2016 or something, 2015, when he, after he had already announced that he was going to be pursuing uh, the office of president. And they let him have it. I was going to play that audio, but we just don't have time. So I encourage you to go find that. There's the full one. And then they got the clips that are just hilarious. Um, but pay attention to how much the audience and the, the guest roasters absolutely love him. When he says something defiant, when he says something that you're not supposed to say, they love it. They love it. What changed? If you can't understand how the other side can't understand what you're feeling rephrase the question do you understand what they are feeling as much as we try to wrap our political leanings in reason and logic 
Much of it really does stem from emotional impressions, um, past abuses, or a crisis that we've been through. There's usually that defining moment where, you know, refined in the fire, uh, something happened to us that cemented our beliefs. As much as people want to say that they want that they're open-minded, it's not necessarily true of, of everybody in every certain uh, circumstance. I believe that enlightenment or whatever you want to call it, that it comes from having that existential crisis. Who am I? I've had that moment. Why, why do I believe what I believe? And, and I'm still going through it, to be honest. I, I'm still figuring out exactly what I believe. That's why I'm, I'm trying to get articles from everybody. That's why I'm trying to question everything. Because I, I don't want to just be this go-along-to-get-along. I want to be passionate about what I believe, and I think we all do. It's just some people have a little bit more determination to understand what it is they believe than others. And that, that's not a character flaw. We've, we're all a slave to the, to the 24-hour period, you know? Got to sleep sometime, right? So... If enlightenment comes from some sort of existential crisis, that who am I, what am I doing here, what was yours, or what, what will yours be? And then as you're debating these people in real life, what was theirs? Why do they believe what they believe? Why are they so staunchly against border walls? Is it all emotion and feeling and compassion? Is there something else? Why are they so involved in the, in the green movement and in uh, this Green New Deal? Why are they so against fossil fuels? Did the, did has, the Fossil fuels didn't hurt them. So what was it? And I think that we all have that story and that it's easy to get behind a keyboard and forget that you're dealing with another human being. But that is my, my challenge to you this episode. And I apologize for going so long, but that is my challenge to... Put yourself in other people's shoes and think that as much as you've got a reason to believe what it is you believe, maybe that other person, maybe the other side also has a reason that they feel validated in what it is that they believe. And if we can start just listening to each other again and giving benefit of the doubt to the other side, I think that can heal a lot of these issues. But if we're so focused on what's happening in Washington, D.C., we're going to miss it. And that's a challenge for myself as well, to start worrying about human issues, not just what Joe Biden is saying or failing to say. So take that with a grain of salt. That's my two cents. Do what you will with it. I hope you have a good weekend. I will likely be back here talking to you about the things I missed today on uh, either tomorrow or probably more likely on Monday for a weekend update. So tune in for that. And again, I encourage you head over to our Instagram at point B underscore cast. Check us out, like and comment on our new posts, share them to your stories, share them to your pages and uh, whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on, please. We, we beg of you almost at this point, leave us those reviews uh, just, just so all the, the search algorithms out there can find us and we can spread this word of believing what it is you believe, but being considerate enough to listen to the other side and, and let's settle somewhere in the middle on whatever principles we decide to agree on. So um, have a good weekend, be safe, and uh, we'll see you back here on Monday. Thank you.